Welcome to another edition of Warrior Connection, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to continue with educational opportunities and what you can have. A lot of individuals, you've served in the military for two, three, four years, whatever it is, and you might want to continue your education and go on to the university, and you might also think about coming back in the military. For some of us, we did the green to gold, or you can go from blue over to the gold, whatever it is that you want to do, blue to silver. In other words, you can go from enlisted to officer. You also might have sons or daughters that might want to have a military career. And one of the opportunities they can do is to get a good education at the university. And one of the ways to do that is go through what we call ROTC. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk with a gentleman that had an extensive career, rose to the rank as a full-bull colonel, and he's professor of ROTC at the University of Illinois. Eric, welcome to Warrior Connection, sir. Well, thank you very much, Doug. Glad to be here. Yeah, when, when we have ROTC, we think about it, not everybody thinks about it. The university, you go to the university or colleges or, or ROTC units for what? The Army, the Navy, and uh, everybody, and the Air Force, obviously. And then when the Navy, they can go through the Marines. But ROTC courses are at universities and colleges throughout the nation, aren't they, sir? Yes, uh, currently uh, for the Army, uh, we're, we're sitting at 200 and. Uh, 75 universities across the nation that you can actually find uh, Army uh, cadre on the campus that actually offer the courses. And then there's probably well over a thousand other campuses that kind of have partnerships, whereas if the students, or as we call them cadets, are willing to go to one of those 275 campuses, they can certainly, uh, you know, be involved in ROTC, even though cadre is not directly on their campus. Yeah, that can be pretty interesting. One of the things that we're seeing today, and I guess going back to the old times, I mean, I enlisted and began my Vietnam era, as Ray did, and uh, one of the things that we learned and what we had is we learned discipline. We learned the ideas of integrity. We learned how to follow through and everything, continuation of everything. And it seems today what we hear in the schools and everybody and what we hear individuals that are enlisting in the military, somehow that individual motivation and lack of, di and there's a lack of discipline in the nation. Can't IOTC, I know, can't that really instill this in the fundamental thing and help to enhance that that the student has at, at college? I mean, I guess to answer your question, Doug, yes, it can. Um, what we focus on is, is leadership and the development of leadership skills that would certainly make these uh, uh, students uh, become second lieutenants upon graduation from college, but along with that is understanding and uh, learning about Army values, putting them into practice, and it's certainly, like you were saying, integrity, um, the, the ability or having uh, people be able to count on you for, for doing what's right. Uh, all of those are, are key parts of our program. Pretty neat, then. You've got the same thing. When individuals say they decide to go on ROTC, they enroll in the university or the college, they're going to have and select a regular major and a regular minor, and then up and beyond their regular major or minor, then they can be involved in ROTC. Uh, normally, that's a four-year program, but is it, is it possible for, say, somebody to come in and do ROTC in two-year program real fast? Uh, yes, that's the least amount of time uh, that we, we offer is a two-year program. Uh, certainly for uh, your audience that uh, might have already had prior service, this is the perfect uh, 
opportunity for them, particularly if they've had the opportunity to uh, go to, say, college night school, and they've got some uh, college credits already out of its, uh, you know, under their belt. So what would happen in that case is they would apply for the university, and obviously they would complete whatever two, maybe three years they have remaining. The ROTC program gives them credit for the freshman and sophomore um, years just by being prior service. Um, other uh, opportunities that only require two years is if the uh, student is willing to go to the basic camp, which is a one-month-long camp over the summer that uh, essentially gives them credit for being sitting in class for their freshman and sophomore year. The bottom line is junior and senior year, they must be on campus and uh, uh, they must go through the ROTC program because that's where the primary focus on leadership development occurs. So this sounds pretty neat. So after you complete your ROTC, you have different opportunities. Obviously, some people go in the National Guard. Some people go into, into the reserve, in our case, Army Reserve, or any of the branch reserves. Or you could get selected for active duty. How do they make the decision when they graduate from ROTC whether or not they're going to go into reserve or they're going to on active duty? Is that competitive or what is it? Yes, uh, it is competitive, but what the Ur Army learned was that uh, they didn't care for the fact of basically telling the, uh, the new second lieutenant, say, you must go to this branch or you must go into this component, because what we found out was a lot of them just basically did their four-year uh, payback or their obligation, and then they got out, which caused us con continually having to, uh, you know, uh, recruit to fill our uh, ranks and things. So they basically, uh, the cadets at the start of their senior year will actually put in uh, from the number one branch all the way down to the branch they don't want to be considered. And, and uh, that weighs heavily along with their academics, along with their physical fitness, along with their, their camp score. Uh, all of that goes into effect to try to get the best match for the uh, student or cadet, and obviously the requirements that the Army has. How do they decide? I mean, there's a, and obviously in the Army, there's a whole bunch of different branches. I mean, obviously, as we all know, it doesn't matter what your MOS is, you're first off an infantry man down to the hard shove. The different branches, I mean, can an individual come from ROCC, select, or request to be assigned to different branches in the Army, or how does that happen? Well, uh, basically, like I was trying to say, like, I'll give you an example. Um, I put down as my first choice, this was way back in the 1980s during the Reagan buildup, but uh, my first choice was Finance Corps. Okay, well, obviously, my grades or maybe the requirements for that year for the Finance Corps wasn't high enough. Um, uh, or large enough, so I basically was dropped down to my second choice, which was field artillery. Um, I did get my second choice, so I was quite happy with it, and that's pretty much the same standard that occurs today. You know, uh, um, there's so many slots, and obviously the best academics and, like I said, physical fitness, camp scores, all comes into um, the equation as far as who fills them up. Now, funny as far as I'm concerned, I am so thankful that I didn't get stuck with a finance corps. I don't think I could have stood uh, uh, working behind a desk uh, my entire career. I, I was found out once I got in, I was definitely more uh, 
are ready to uh, do things out in the field. <laughs> when you got, a, uh, got out of college in ROTC back in the 80s, did you have any idea or dream that you would end up spending 30 years in the Army and then coming back as a civilian ROTC? Uh, no. I mean, uh, when it's all said and done, uh, I looked at it as like I was going to do my four-year uh, obligation. Uh, and I was very grateful that the uh, Army was nice enough to give me a scholarship to help me uh, get through college. Uh, but no, I, I thought I was just going to literally be four years and out. But what I found was I really enjoyed working with the people in the in the Army. Everyone kind of seemed to be rowing in the same direction. Everyone seemed to have the same values. Uh, I, just, uh, I just felt like I wanted to do my part and... Essentially, my part was not to leave after four years, so I just kept staying. Every assignment I did after that uh, just was more and more enjoyable. I really liked it, and uh, I actually actually pretty much kicked me out after 30 years. <laughs> uh, this is Ray. Uh, I've been listening for about five minutes. Obviously, they're going to take classes. So you're going to have time in the classroom where you're just learning all the military and learning fundamentals of discipline and teaching and everything else. But do you also have, I mean, I know I did part of it myself when I got involved at UOP back in 1980. You guys go to the field, don't you? Also learning the field problems yes. and understanding yes, how to work in the field? Basically, uh, there's two two field uh, portions of Army ROTC. Um, every week we have what we call the Military Science Lab. So it's a two-week block of instruction which we do practice what we learn in the classroom, whether it's maybe uh, uh, learning how to read a compass, how to read a map. Uh, we actually bring them out to a field, try to see how, how they can maybe navigate, uh, you know, from point to point. Um, we teach them basic, uh, you know, rifle marksmanship, uh, things like that. Now, we actually, when it comes to actually shooting or qualifying with the uh, M16 rifle, um, that, that occurs during a once-a-semester um, uh, FTX, a field training exercise that we have every semester where we go to a local National Guard post and we, we go through a land navigation course. We actually qualify with our, our weapons. Uh, we have to do a lot more of those soldiers-type tasks during that. So what, that's a long answer to answer your question, uh, uh, Doug, but basically when it's all said and done, we, we want to make sure those that, that enjoy that type of uh, hands-on, uh, practical types of uh, you know, training uh, get those opportunities and they're not just sitting in the classroom all the time. That can be a lot of great. I joined you a little while ago, but I've been listening. And uh, I know Doug and I, we put it last week about how we encourage people to you know, go into the military. Another year, the military develops a family. And although you came from a family, sometimes it's not such a great family, but uh, a lot of your ROTC have prepared themselves and they, they've uh, maybe had great teachers that helped them along. The ROTC is an introduction into the military, and, um, and I often say when you go into the military, that is your job to make you part of a team and a, and a family. And that, that's why military goes overseas and never get their life for each other because it is, you know, it is drilled into a family, uh, but it prepares you for the rest of your life. And I know when you look at a military person, uh, most people look at them as very 
clean cut, decent looking person, they got their heads together. And um, everybody has, you know, is working in the same direction, just like you said, it's different fields, different uh, jobs, but yet there's a commonality um, that makes them a family. I think it's marvelous what you're doing. And uh, I think it gives a person an extra boost in their future that they wouldn't have had otherwise and helps them get their heads together. And, and they are choosing their friends wisely um, because they always turn out like the people you're hanging around. And it does help you get your head straight. I'm sure it does. So uh, thank you again. Well, you're welcome, Ray. That's exactly it. And just to kind of add on to that, um, yeah, one of the things that we do here, and I think this is pretty common with all ROTC programs, is uh, not only do we have a cadre mentorship program where we kind of focus on the seniors, you know, kind of, you know, making them feel comfortable having someone that they can ask uh, questions that they have right prior to them going into becoming lieutenants in our Army, but uh, we also have um, cadet mentors. So the the seniors will mentor the juniors, the juniors will mentor the sophomores. And it's all, again, just to try to um, build that family and that, uh, that confidence uh, that it's not the student or the cadet against the entire university. They always have a support system that can kind of help them through their tough times. Yeah. It's really important for someone to have that support system, too. We live in a day where it seems like everybody kind of isolates from each other and they're taking care of each other. But everybody, it's hard to be an island within yourself. And when you have other people motivated, and they'll help you be motivated. And um, I know whether they stay in the military or not, it, it does give them a, a basis of where they, you know, when you go before the employer, when you tell them that you've been two years in the military or however it is. That's a, that's a plus because you've been under a certain discipline and um, uh, it, it adds to your, um, you know, when you're going in there, it adds to your, uh, even your career. So you have to understand you have um, been under certain disciplines and you, you know how to keep yourself clean and decent. Today, uh, the world is different, you know, and, and um, now Doug was an old hippie probably and long hair and all this stuff. I'm not sure about that, but uh, <laughs> that became a man that I highly admire, and uh, well, he's a doctor, he's everything, so, uh, but you know, I've been around a long time. He, he's overcome a lot of things. He's been in the army for, what, 35 years ago, been in Vietnam, um, and um, Gulf War, and so he had a lot of things to overcome, but that military was one of the things that got him through that. And uh, I, I just encourage everybody to follow up with the ROTC programs you're promoting. When we, uh, the change in technology today, how is that affecting everything? Do the students understand the technology or the limitations on technology within the military? Or how, do, how has that all changed? I mean, all of us had incredible changes in technology in our military career. Where is it going or what can we do in the future? Well, typically at the ROTC units, we, we try to teach them a lot of the basic soldier skills, uh, not so much uh, with technology. Uh, the students, believe it or not, actually come into our program with a pretty good understanding of, you know, things like smartphones and, you know, uh, you know how to do things on uh, computers, uh, certainly a whole lot better than 
than I did when I came into the military. But, um, you know, again, there's, there's all these questions about, well, whatever happens if, you know, a power source is not available or things like that. So, you know, we want to make sure that everyone at least has the, the basic soldier skills, knows how to get from point A to point B, knows how to shoot the, his primary uh, personal weapon, you know, knows how to communicate uh, over a radio. You know, those, those, those skills, I think, are, are almost timeless. you you gotta, you got to have that down. And, and so we focus on, on and getting those right along with what can we do to make this uh, uh, student a better leader. Because it, when it's all said and done, they're, they're going to be the junior leaders that have got that direct contact with our young 18- and 19-year-old privates that are coming into the Army every year. What you see at the University of Illinois, obviously, you got the cream of the crop of the students. I mean, you're looking at the top 5 or 10% that graduate from their high schools, get to the University of Illinois to begin with, and then you've got a unique group that come into ROTC, whether they're male or female. How does that all play today with history and the changes and everything? Because I know at the U of I and a lot of other schools, they weren't exactly what you would call pro-military. Well, we have a, generally a very good uh, relationship with the university. I mean, uh, it's pretty much like any university. They certainly have, uh, you know, freedom of speech, and they want to make sure that the students and, the, you know, the professors uh, have the right to, uh, you know, say their view, viewpoints. But we haven't really run into any issue here on campus where, you know, we've actually run into a demonstration or anything like that. Um, that's one thing I, I say is a, a big plus over, uh, you know, the, the programs back, you know, shortly after the Vietnam War and things like that. So uh, I think most people respect the military, although a lot of them don't want to be involved with it. They're very much glad that someone else is interested in it. I do feel, at least on this campus, that we have the support and uh, um, most of the uh, students are, are kind of proud of the cadets that are willing to uh, step up and, uh, you know, put their uh, life on the line, you know, in the defense of our country. Does the, what type of student do you get into ROTC? Is it, are they coming from prior military or where their parents were or brother and sister was? they have knowledge of it when they come to ROTC, or you have some that are just flat, well, this might be neat. I want to find out about it. Yeah, great question, Doug. Uh, pretty much we have the gambit. I mean, we'll have one student come in here, and he'll describe his lineage as, you know, they've had uh, soldiers and officers in their uh, family since the Civil War, and then literally, uh, you know, a half an hour later, I'll have a student that, uh, you know, they're a first-generation American, and they're just, you know, proud to do their part, and they, they don't understand it, but they want to be part of the, the military. So, so I mean, it's it's kind of a unique dynamic, and what's, what's, what I find is very enjoyable and, and very rewarding is seeing how the cadets come together, and, you know, they work together, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just very impressive to see them mature over their three or four years that we get to observe them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You have to obviously be accepted into a, uh, a university that offers ROTC uh, because, again, one of the requirements for commissioning is you must have a four-year college degree. So, so when when the student arrives here, we we know they've already met the the strict uh, uh, requirements that the university places on each of the students. So then, what we focus on is obviously they need to maintain their grades. They they must keep at least a C average. And if they're looking as far as getting a scholarship or so, they're, they're looking at more of like having a B average. Um, they have to be physically fit. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of, lot of students today come in where they don't have had a lot of exercise in high school. And so therefore, you know, we spend, you know, semesters trying to get them up to the Army standard. And once they reach that, then we want to obviously get them to a point where they're either maxing the physical fitness test or at least as close as they possibly can because, again, we want them to be good uh, examples when they're leading, uh, you know, troops in their formations. Um, other requirements, we've got to, you've got to make sure that we check to make sure they don't have any, you know, criminal records. Um, that doesn't mean that if someone has broken the law, it doesn't mean that they can't apply, but it's just that we have to review you know, what was the situation, you know, what were the consequences, and then, of course, we have to, we have to ask for a waiver. Uh, certainly, medical is an issue. We have a lot of students today that I think would make great officers, but because of something that they have in their medical history or they're currently dealing with, uh, they're, they're just disqualified, and it, that, those are obviously the cases that you hate to see, but, you know, that's, that's part of having a standard. So, I mean, there are, are uh, requirements like that, uh, but in general, we work with every cadet, and uh, we try to uh, help them through the process so that, uh, you know, when they do complete it, uh, they have everything ready to go, and, you know, the, off the Army's getting a good officer. That's the, that's the importance of the uh, junior ROTC and such as that is junior high school and such, uh, to keep them focused on their future. And, help them understand that's going to be a good thing for them, and, um, you know, it keeps them out of trouble, keeps them away from addictions and all these type of things, because they realize they can, they can uh, get into trouble and lose their careers, and uh, I, when I've spoken to junior ROTC programs in high schools and all, well, you know, ROTC, I guess, uh, it, it, uh, one of the things you always, I always try to do is I do programs against uh, drugs and alcohol, it's called Watch Out for a Hook. And uh, the hooks of addiction, and so I come in and and I try to help them understand it's a very serious world, and uh, you can really get messed up really quickly in high school, uh, and it affects your college and right on to your your own personal careers. And uh, I think it's a great motivator for anybody that wants to achieve. High school is where kids usually, you know, they kind of the good and the bad and everything. They begin to split up. And even while ago, they will they will look around at the guys and they get real serious about some guys because because they got their head on together and they're getting they're starting to look at adult lifehood and um, it's where you really kind of focus on your careers and not on the, the party so much and um, and I 
Well, I do know that the uh, junior ROTCs do, a, you know, great work at the high school level. And, uh, yeah, their, their focus is on citizenship, uh, building uh, better citizens of the students. And, and just like you say, Ray, uh, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of students come from, uh, you know, let's just say families or just neighborhoods that, you know, are maybe not the best. And so, therefore, this is a, an opportunity for them to get, get uh, you know, a little bit of better uh, understanding of, of what, it's, what it's like to be a, you know, productive uh, citizen in, in our society. So I have nothing but uh, great things uh, for all the RO, junior ROTC programs I've, I've, I've had the chance to deal, deal with. We don't really know how people are involved in going into a community. And that's, you, know, you can be anywhere, any city, anywhere, anywhere. Um, but you're kind of surrounded by the, the local people and in that community. And uh, when you have so much drugs and laughing going on there, uh, that's that really stuff that most of the teenagers have some kind of weapon in the police or some kind of charges or whatever it is. They uh, make it all about neighborhood. And they start having a lot of people who uh, have better goals and they, they're motivated toward those goals and, and they're decent. They can, they've never been afraid. We have a lot of problems or in the past you know, with racial tensions and all. A lot of these kids have never really been exposed to each other's life. And sometimes, you, you know, just like in the ROTC or the Army or Marine Corps or whatever else, that's where you come out of that world and begin to get into a world of, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, well, more, you know, all the cultures come together. We're blended together, multicultural. And you find out most people are just doing, I mean, you, know, you find out in the ROTC and programs like this, most people are decent, and they're not going to do things that's going to hinder them in life. And uh, I know it myself. I mean, we are, I guess we all have. But um, you find out uh, you may have been uh, programmed in life to hate certain people or color people, color pe uh, people of color, uh, whatever nation it was. But when you get to know them and when you get around them, you find out they're good people. And uh, it gels you together. I don't know if that was clear in what I was trying to say, but but um, it, it does change people's life and their focus, and you begin to mature and grow old with know, that. But uh, I, I think all of it's marvelous because uh, you know, we were all raised in certain attitudes and families and culture and neighborhoods, but uh, the military brings those things together a lot of times. And uh, so I, I think we get them early like this and. And uh, it has nothing but good to happen from it. Okay. Yeah. Doug, do you have any other questions? Yeah, on uh, your cadre, individuals that are involved in teaching this, are these guys, just ones I've met coming through University of Illinois RTC, they've got a lot of experience. So how does that interplay with their knowledge and their experience as far as teaching the kids? Well, again, um, for the for the cadre, the primary instructors are either uh, you know officers or senior NCOs and non-commissioned officers that um, are you know on active duty, and so they uh, yeah they bring all the experiences uh, from you know their previous assignments, uh, which is great uh, for the cadets because again they they're. They're trying to understand what are they going to get involved in once they uh, raise their 
and there are commissioned as second lieutenant. So, so again, these, the, this experience that comes with them is, is very valuable. And then another thing that ROTC does that's, that's kind of nice is the number of, uh, let's just say, civilian uh, support uh, staff that uh, helps the, most of the ROTC programs, uh, a lot of them are, are reserve officers or officers in their National Guard communities or officers uh, and NCOs like myself who have retired and just feel like, you know, they still have something to contribute, so they, they uh, support ROTC programs. So, so I think the, uh, what your, your statement is, is definitely true. We have a lot of experience. I know here we have eight cadre, and uh, we always have a quiz. Uh, one of the bonus questions is, you know, how, much, uh, how, how many years of military experience do we have? And in, and in our uh, eight cadre, we had a total of uh, 173 years. So it's way over 20 years on the average. So, so again, it's. Uh, and I'm not saying we've got a a uh, you know a, a very special ROTC. I think this is pretty common across the board. I think one thing that's really unique to your fellow professor Randy. He was prior enlisted for many years became, before he became an officer, and you can see how that comes to play in teaching these kids tremendously, can't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, any, anyone that's had uh, prior service at the enlisted uh, level uh, certainly comes with a perspective that uh, is very important to the, the cadets because, again, we, we stress that they, you know, they are not going to be the most experienced person when they show up at their first unit, and they, they need to trust that uh, non-commissioned officer that's their platoon sergeant and uh, understand that the squad leaders uh, know uh, what's, uh, w what are the key uh, ways to make all the soldiers uh, you know, operate efficiently. So, so yeah, we, we stress that. It's nothing better than having, uh, you know, like I said, either prior enlisted service or else the uh, senior NCOs that are actually um, assigned here to, uh, you know, to explain those uh, situations and those experiences to the cadets. One of the other things, too, I think, and we noticed this at the dinner the other night, you've got a lot of support, individuals that have retired, they were in the service, and they retired, or retired from the University of Illinois, but one thing was unique that I saw, you had a broad group of people from all over that were there to support ROTC at the University of Illinois. Is that unique at the U of I, or is that common? I think it's common, Doug. Uh, what basically, for the audience out there, uh, basically we had a dining out, which we, we invite all the alumni of the program. Now, the University of Illinois this year is celebrating its 150th year of military training at this university. So if you, when you do the math, that basically three years after the Civil War, uh, military training started here at the University of Illinois, Illinois and it's been going on ever since. So, uh, you know, our alumni are very important and very valuable people to our program. So we, we like to keep them in touch. Uh, so we offer them a, a newsletter, you know, three times a year to kind of let them know what the current cadets are doing. But we also invite them back to be mentors or to, you know, attend uh, dining outs and things like that when we have them. And uh, just like you said, Doug, and you experienced, um, yeah, we we generally get 20, 25 uh, 
you know, of them to come back and, uh, like I said, contribute. So it's, it's usually a good time, and the cadets learn a whole lot from their interaction with them. I think what was really unique at this last dining out, you had a University of Illinois Army ROTC alumni graduate in 1970, and he was the keynote speaker, but he retired as a major general. That, that's an accomplishment, isn't it? <laughs> well, we, of course, you know, any time that uh, someone is able to make the, uh, the rank of command sergeant major or general officer in the, in the Army, uh, that's pretty impressive. That's someone that's not only done well throughout their career, but also has had the longevity to stay with the Army and, you know, obviously not get out and go on and do things outside of the Army. So, so uh, yeah, we're very proud of those individuals, and we ask them all the time uh, if they would be kind enough to be guest speakers and mentors, and what's, what we've been very fortunate, um, they typically uh, say yes, so uh, we have no complaints in that department. <laughs> yeah, think of, as you mentioned, 150 years, I mean, that is absolutely mind-boggling in the time sense, I mean, 150 years of military training and all the contributions. I mean, at the University of Illinois, obviously, as everybody knows, Memorial Stadium, which is our football stadium, was named in honor and in honor of those that died in World War One. Correct? Uh, that is correct. Very good. You know your history of Illinois, there, Doug. <laughs> it's just really neat. So we're talking about people that were there that brought in the Civil War and then obviously the Spanish-American, the Indian Wars. We've got World War One, World War Two, Korea. Obviously, all of us were involved in Vietnam. And I know those at the University of Illinois, those of us who were involved in Vietnam are now at that retirement age, which is hard to believe, Ray. I'm not sure where that all happened. But the next generation is coming up, and obviously Desert Storm, I mean, that's 25 years ago now. And now we've got the cadets and you guys. I mean, your young cadre, they were all involved in the current Miller operations. How does that all play in the history of what's happening or where it's going with the program in the future? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the, one of the nice things about ROTC is that the Army, uh, you know, sends us, uh, you know, quality officers and commissioned officers to uh, educate, uh, you know, the the future leaders, and so uh, we're very, uh, you know, we're very excited. Uh, like I said, we typically get most uh, most of our cadre has uh, combat experience in, in one conflict or the other, and, and that is tends to be a big concern for not only the students but lots of times the parents that uh, you know are dropping their uh, you know sons and daughters off to the uh, university. So it's always nice to be able to have someone you know that that's somewhat experienced, uh, like myself, who, who's dealing with, like, obviously the uh, OIF and OEF and the Persian Gulf War, but then also the more current ones, uh, you know, a lot of the captains and the majors are involved with that, those conflicts. So, so again, all of this type of stuff comes in, in very handy as far as answering the questions, and, and hopefully we give them a sense of confidence that... Uh, you know, this is a quality program, and uh, we definitely uh, have, the, have the experience needed to uh, educate their sons and daughters. The other thing, too, I think of the educational opportunities is, I mean, obviously you can compete and get an ROTC scholarship where you get a scholarship and so much uh, money per month, 
But then you know, in Illinois, if you're enlist, you've got a four-year full-ride scholarship automatic admission after you complete several years. So the neat thing about it, and I know I did it, and we other ones have done it very successfully, is you can go end up getting your complete education from a bachelor's or associate degree through a Ph.D. basically for free on the military today, can't you? Oh, yeah, there are several options. Uh, basically, that's probably one of the best things that the military offers for uh, students interested in, in getting a college degree. They, they're very willing to basically what I call pay up front. They pay the, uh, you know, the tuition and fees uh, for a lot of uh, students, you know, that obtain these scholarships um, in return for service after they graduate. Um, I always, I always try to make sure when I go and visit high schools to explain the difference between myself and obviously just the standard recruiter, who will often say, hey join the military, either the Navy, Air Force, Army, Marines, and save up money for college afterwards, I always say, no, I'm the complete opposite. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to convince you to, you know, join the ROTC, and hopefully I can provide you financial assistance to help you get your college degree, and then you go and serve. And so, so again, it's, it's a different uh, uh, technique, uh, and like I said, uh, generally there's some people that, uh, you know, kind of want to do things at the uh, hands-on level, and, and certainly uh, being enlisted, you know, kind of is what they're looking at. Other people generally tend to be wanting to be in charge or want to uh, be more involved in planning, and so therefore, obviously, they kind of gravitate to getting a college degree and, uh, you know, serving as an officer. So. You know, the nice thing about having, as we mentioned earlier, junior ROTC at the high schools and then senior ROTC at, uh, at the college level, it kind of gives uh, our young, you know, uh, teenagers and young adults in our country, you know, some options, and they can choose what seems to fit the best for them. And the other thing is, and I know we ran into this, and Ray and I have discussed this, and you and I discussed this a little bit. You've got kids that are going to become officers in ROTC or some kind of NCO. We've had some that went to ROTC that decided to be an NCO. How do they deal with the fact that they get out in the agriculture and they find out that the average reading level is a fourth or a fifth grade and the math level is about the same thing when they have to deal with getting a military operation? Well, I think a lot of that is, um, you know, covered by the uh, the strict uh, academic requirements for the universities, Doug. I think, at least at our level, you know, they have to get into uh, the university before they can consider participating in ROTC. So I don't think we really run into that dilemma. Now, if you're if you're asking, you know, how do um, how do cadets that become second lieutenant, you know, how do they handle, you know, maybe a soldier that only, you know, dropped, dropped out of high school, so his education may not be, you know, as well as, you know, as expected. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with the Army. That in, in general, the Army has, you know, quality standards. Um, I still believe that you have to have a high school diploma or a G. GED to get accepted into the military. So I'm hoping we don't have soldiers that have that that 
level of education that that becomes an issue because what, where this all leads to is, the, I, and I think this is where you're generating your question from, is with the advancements of technology, you've got to be pretty smart to handle the, the modern weapon systems that we have. So, yeah, you can't, you know, you've got to be able to read, you've got to be able to do at least basic math. Those, those types of skills are, are very critical in today's Army. I think the information, too, I know when I've walked into your office, you've got a vast library, both for the university and your own library. What kind of suggestions and recommendations can you give to somebody who wants to be professional as far as what do they have to do for their own professional development? What kind of books do they read? What journals or magazines do they get involved in? They, they've got to do this continuously, don't they? Yes, we always, what we call, we call all our, particularly our officers, and I believe our NCOs the same way, um, we call them lifelong learners, and basically what we what we try to stress to the cadets is that look, just because you know you're being commissioned doesn't mean that your education stops. Uh, the beauty of reading and being up on military history is that hopefully we don't do the same mistakes, with, you know, uh, again and again. You know, this is one of these things that you know if we can learn from, you know, maybe you know maybe we're interested in a particular topic or a particular war, and we can kind of see how the officers acted in those situations, you know, it might provide us some lessons learned that we can take and, and help us when, you know, we're dealing our job today. I guess one of the things with technology changes and everything, and we've discussed this, and I know I made this strong thing where you got to have the book in your fingertips. I mean, one of the things we see as computers has been the reliance on the computer world to put the reference field manual, the RTEP, the MTEP, whatever they have, the soldier's manual, common task, on the, in, on the computer, on the Internet. How do we get that and translate it back to make those things? I'm not, I don't know if I'm getting a real answer to this, but how do we translate that or get it back to you've got to have the hands-on stuff to really make it happen, and it's your responsibility. Well, um, I think we, when it comes to actual, you know, hard printed copy books, um, uh, you know, the younger generation is, is a lot more, uh, you know, focused on being able to, you know, pull up a, you know, a, a manual from from their smartphone and things like that. So, so I, I do agree that yeah, there, you're going to see less and less books and things now. Now then, the question is, well, what happens if you don't have that? technology uh, available at your fingertips. And that's why I think, uh, you know, with us stressing the, you know, the basic common skills that a soldier needs and then for when they get to their units and they're continually training and retraining on, on tasks so that they have these, uh, you know, skills down, hopefully if they ever get to a situation where they can't use their you know, smartphone or their computers, uh, you know, hopefully they've already just know the skills well enough that they can, uh, you know, at least make it through. Uh, I don't know if that really answers your question, um, but that's kind of like how I see it, and of course that's just my opinion, but uh, that that is something that I'm seeing less and less today, less, less printed books and more get in online. I think one of the unique things, and again, I was a beneficiary of this past cadre we had with the famous Colonel C and Colonel Anderson that were there and Colonel Denton Brown, they instilled something in the cadets and instilled something in all of us 
that we assume responsibility for our own total professional development obviously would help as needed. Yes, that's a unique benefit of ROTC, isn't it? It doesn't happen all the time in a normal college environment because you see the professor would have a class, you walk away, don't you? Um, I, I guess, can you kind of say your question again, Doug? I kind of missed I mean, uh, uh, part of your yeah, the individual thing where you have the cadre are having a lot greater impact on the students than just an average college professor. Yes, and I, and I think the reason for that is because, again, for the majority of the students, they're here for all four years, and so not only do they have these uh, the cadre for more than one class, but they also deal with them for you know while we're doing physical training. When we're doing the labs, when we go on that FTX that I was describing earlier, um, all of these interactions are valuable. Even maybe just riding on the bus, you know, uh, when we go to the uh, field training exercise, you know, all of that. These are these are golden opportunities to kind of pass knowledge, expertise, and uh, you know what I like at least from the cadets from our program is they're very receptive for uh, you know obviously uh, they're. We, I call them mouse sponges. They're just, you know, itching to learn <laughs> more stuff, you know, than they, you know, as much as they can before they actually have to go out and uh, do it as a second lieutenant. I think one of the unique things, and again, as I've shared this with you and we've learned more and more, the impact of the University of Illinois Army ROTC, not only locally but on the nation, has been pretty substantial because a lot of stuff got developed at the U of I, connected with ROTC, the Reserve, and the National Guard units here because of that total tight interrelationship. But it's really unique, I know, for me to see it sit back at a retirement agency. Wow, these guys that were before me or with me, they really had an impact that really changed history. Yeah, well, you had a, uh, from what uh, your earlier discussion with me uh, when during one of your visits here, uh, you had a very, very unique situation there, Doug. And, uh, yeah, I think you were the right man at the right time for that. And uh, it sounds like you, you did a great job for, you know, not just the university and the ROTC program, but the Army and the nation as a whole. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't see as many opportunities that, like you were describing to me, um, here currently, but it doesn't mean that in the future, certainly something like that may, uh, you know, come into existence. So. Yeah, I guess that's a unique situation where you had the right people with the right knowledge and right experience that had to want to give all the gifts. I mean, these legendary officers, they, give, they gave the gift. They were far more than just professors or teachers. They gave a gift of life. I think that's, you know, that's reflected on your wall of heroes, isn't it? Didn't you just induct some more people into that? Yeah, we had a, what, what Doug's talking about is a Hall of Fame uh, uh, ceremony. Uh, every two years, we, we basically, uh, uh, we, we go out to all of our alumni and say, hey, are there individuals that not only have represented the university, our ROTC program, the U.S. Army, and the nation, is anyone out there that uh, we want to recognize? And we had uh, this this past week, we had a, an induction ceremony for a Mr. Ken Kramer, who was at one time was a assistant secretary of the Army uh, that came from our ROTC program, and it was just it was just quite a pleasure um, and a, certainly an honor just to kind of 
hear his war stories and just hear all the things that he's done in his life. And it just kind of makes you feel good that, uh, you know, someone that probably didn't think anything of being in Army ROTC turned out to be, um, you know, so successful in his life. You know, the other thing, too, your staff, I mean, you have an incredible secretary, Emily. I've known over half of my life now. That's astonishing to say that. The contribution of your civilian staff to ROTC at the University of Illinois has been substantial, too, hasn't it? Oh, sure. This is where the continuity is. Much like any other military assignment, um, you know, the, the Army tends to rotate uh, what we call permanent change of station, uh, all of its uh, members, uh, usually two to three years. So, yeah, just we, we just get a, a cadre member who's who's doing great and wonderful things, and we wish we could keep him forever. But then uh, the Army says, nope, we need him back out in the field. So, <laughs> so, so luckily we have Emily and, like I said, uh, you know, a couple others that uh, basically uh, – help us with that continuity until we get the next group uh, up to speed. What's the future for ROTC in the nation? Well, I hope uh, the, the future is that it remains strong. Uh, we, we continue to have interest at the uh, young adult level that uh, not only wants to get an education but wants to serve their country. Uh, you know, because, again, there's only so many officers that West Point can uh, uh, commission and uh, the officer candidate school is is a way, but uh, you know there's always that question on whether the uh, recruits have a, a four-year degree. So, so ROTC is valuable uh, now. Um, it certainly, as we've discussed earlier, it's been valued throughout our history, and, and I I just cannot see the nation uh, going away from ROTC for into the future. What about patriotism in our nation today? I mean, we've seen incredible changes. Ray and I, you and I had a totally initial perspective when we went to Vietnam and came back and different industrial storm, and then, sir, you went to current wars. How do you see patriotism overall changing in the nation? Has it changed, or is it stagnant, or is it improving or regressing? Well, I like to think it's improving. Um, again, I came through ROTC, like I said, right after Vietnam, and, and that was kind of a, you know, like I said, what I consider a, a rough time uh, for military, uh, you know, operations on campus. Um, but, um, like I said, I think we do receive the support uh, of the population. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, these polls always always uh, come out saying that, you know, uh, the military in general is one of the higher um, professions in the United States that people have trust in. So, I mean, I think that kind of gives an indication that there is a, a, uh, a belief that, um, you know, patriotism is strong and pa people respect uh, what, the, you know, our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. I guess the the only hesitation I have on that is is again I, I just don't know how much education is out there as far as what what is involved as far as being in the military and so therefore I think a lot of young people who would be very successful in one of the military branches uh, don't even consider it and then they'll just go off and and do something else and uh, it's kind of people like myself 
you know, it's our job to kind of get out there and try to educate, you know, at the high school level, at least let them know that this is an option. And, uh, you know, hopefully, like you said, patriotism is high enough that, you know, uh, there's a certain percentage of the population out there that'll, that'll give it a shot. I know the University of Illinois, I mean, they provide the honor guard for, you know, the beginning of any basketball game, football game, baseball game, whatever they have, and then other association things. So that's been a long-going standing thing where you have all the branches of LTC holding the flag for the Iowa National Anthem, haven't you? Oh, yeah. And, again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that, you know, the respect in the in – the, uh, um, appreciation that the university has here for all the ROTC programs. This is one of the universities that has all four of the ROTCs here. So, I mean, that's, that is kind of a, a nice, um, you know, it, it's nice to see us all working together on those special events. And again, it seems like not only the, uh, um, you know, the participants and the uh, spectators at the group, at the games, but also the, the faculty and staff here, I think they get a lot of, uh, you know, they appreciate uh, the cadets being involved in this, you know, those capacities. The other thing that is unique, and I've been involved in this, the number of students that achieved honors both academically and military at ROTC has been staggering over the years. I mean, every year in, in April you hold an honors day society, uh, thing, and it seems like the kids, it just keeps getting better and better and better. But one of the things that we pride ourselves on is teaching the cadets, uh, and I'm sure the Navy does the same with their midshipmen. Um, you know, we, we stress time management and teaching them, you know, how to, how to do things efficiently. And, and uh, you, can, you can see generally within a semester or two those, um, uh, those cadets that have really taken that to heart and have tried to implement it because, like I said, yeah, it's amazing what they can do. We have one student that is, she has got a, a B-plus average, you know, and she is a, a leader here in ROTC. And, uh, oh, well, by the way, and she's also taking engineering, which is one of the tougher majors, and she's on the swim team. <laughs> a Division One school swim swimmer, along with ROTC and, uh, you know, a B-plus student in uh, engineering. So... It can be done. Any anyone can do it. It's just that you got to put your mind and uh, heart and drive into uh, you know trying to make the most out of every each and every day. I think one of the new things that's changed because when I came back from Vietnam, I did my four years of college and I got out. How long does it take the average student today to graduate from the university? In contrast to your ROTC cadets, are the cadets graduating four years or? four and a half or five years, or where are they at in comparison to most of the students? Um, I, I think it's comparable. Maybe ROTC, uh, you know, motivates them to, you know, graduate a semester earlier than the average. But in general, I think most students graduate within four, maybe four and a half years here at U of I. Um, but let me kind of uh, address that why the, the ROTC students typically graduate in four years. When they decide that they're going to commission and they want to be officers in the, in the Army, they have to basically put together an academic plan that tells them when they're going to graduate. So they have to work with their academic advisor. They have to work with the staff here 
to develop a plan so that they know by course what they're going to take every semester to graduate. And that's very important because, as you well know, you know, Congress only gives us an end strength of so many, you know, soldiers, so many officers. So if a student says they're going to graduate in, let's say, four more semesters, and then he takes five semesters to graduate, well, we've just hurt the Army for, you know, a, a whole semester where they have to, they have to essentially do their mission with one less officer. So, so again, these contracts that we make are very valuable and very important. And so we take a lot of time and effort to make sure it makes sense. We don't overload the students, but we, we keep them at a very steady pace so that they will graduate, like I said, hopefully within eight semesters or four years. How many, do you have any idea how many that started out at ROTC ended up making it a career and retiring as you and I did? <laughs> um, I don't know that answer, Doug. That's a great question. Maybe I need to put that on my list to figure that out. Um, I, I hope most of them, um, you know, at least give it an effort. You know, everyone's, everyone's career and their family situation is different. And so, you know, even though you may have the heart that you want to be a, a careerist, you know, maybe something happens in your family that you just can't do that. So it's kind of hard to, hard, kind of hard to say uh, an exact percentage, but um, I think, you know, in general, we probably do just as well as any other university as far as having, uh, you know, career uh, military officers from this program. You know, the other thing, too, and, and I'm not sure how to answer if we can't get an answer, did the cadets coming through understand the real obligations and the, and the fact that, like many of us, you may end up disabled from your military career and how that impacts your life? Well, I mean, here we have, uh, you know, like the Wounded Warriors Center here on campus. So, I mean, there is some interaction with, you know, obviously uh, disabled veterans and things like that. And so they all understand that that is a possibility. I don't think we really stress it. Like, uh, I mean, I'm not exactly certain exactly how we would go about doing that. But my, my point on that is um, I think, you know, our students are educated enough and they understand that yeah, that's part of, you know, the commitment as far as serving in the military is that you're, you're, you're willing to, you know, accept that if, if that's, what's uh, asked of you, uh, you know, during your service. Well, we're about out of time, sir. I know you've got to run off. You've got an appointment right away. So we'd like to thank you very much. Thank you for service in Nation Third for well over 30 years that continues in trying to teach the kids in the future. I mean, you're making an impact, sir, and God bless you. Thank you very much. You're, you're welcome, Doug and Ray. Thank you for, uh, you know, hosting this, uh, this uh, talk, and uh, I hope I uh, was able to, like, you know, give you at least some of the answers to your questions. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. All right, hey, Ray, in your book and everything else, a love story. You know, you talk about what the interrelationships and the commitments. What did you see when you were growing up between the NCOs and the officers in Vietnam?